This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It's once again good to be with you in the morning and start the day with you. Maybe some of you are listening later on with a podcast. This is your tool to help you get to sleep at night. Whatever the case may be, we are grateful to be able to speak about things of hopefully importance. As you know, we've been looking at the Reformation time period. We started by looking at different historical people that um, were influential. Our whole desire is to, A, remind you of the great work that God did during that time period of history, but also to hopefully be biblical in the, in the sense that we are to remember the great works of God in the past as an, a way to encourage us in the in the present, to remind us of the faithfulness of God, to remind us of his care of his church, and that he will continue to care for his people in his church till the end of the age. And we have been spending a little bit of time on sola scriptura, um, that scripture alone is the sole authority for life and godliness and for our faith. And the reason why we've kind of settled down on this one is is so foundational for the other solas that we're going to get to. If you get this one wrong, it's inevitable that the others are going to go wrong. So we want to make sure that we're clear on all of this. And in an age where truth is relative, where we don't submit really very well to authorities in our life, um, it's just a good reminder to pause and say, you know what? As Christians, we are we are different, and we do have an authority in our life that speaks to truth and about truth, and that it's wise to listen to it. And so we have covered all of these sorts of different categories, and today we want to actually stop and, and talk about the canon of Scripture. And what do we mean by just the use of the word canon? It simply means rule or authority. Uh, if you think about any community there's usually an establishing foundational rule so even if we think about it as as americans we have a we have a canon we have a rule we would call it the united states constitution that sets down the order and organization of who we are as a people and so uh, the canon for the christian faith uh, is the 66 books of the bible organized and assembled together as our foundation and rule or authority for our life and faith and practice Right, it's uh, it, you know, essentially, it's the word of God written. That's the that's the canon, and we're talking about the sixty six books of the Old and New Testament. Now, part of when we're dealing with the solas of the Reformation, part of that is that this is where the Protestants differed from the Catholics, and so I've noticed that both of you have just mentioned sixty six books. If I was talking to a person who attends a Catholic church, would they talk about 66 books of the canon? No, they would include a collection of books known as the Apocrypha that are included in there that have uh, other additions to the 
Protestant canon or books that were removed during the Reformation? They're, they're principally books, about 13 books written between, uh, say, 300 B.C. and 1000 A.D., so a significant time period after, um, but also during uh, what is generally a silent period between the scriptures. You know, we between the uh, the Old and New Testament, uh, there was uh, no prophet until John the Baptist, and so there was. These this, these are part of the reasons why there is a canon. Um, you know, because the canon has to go through the, this collection of books. Really, is about God's providence. It's something, you know. The church didn't decide it; uh, the church received it. It was the Word of God written, and one of the ways in which that evidenced itself to be the very Word of God was, you know, there were some tests about uh, what made up the canon. Was it authoritative? Did it claim to be God's Word? Was it prophetic? Was it written by a prophet or an apostle, or in some way linked to that prophet or apostle? Is it authentic? Does it contain doctrinal and factual error was one of the things. Is it dynamic? Was it a life-transforming? Uh, is When you read it, is this a life-transforming? And the fifth one, was it accepted by the people of God? And so it had a certain universal acceptance. But apocryphal books oftentimes um, you know, were reflected uh, simply maybe a Jewish religious vo- viewpoint. It was, uh, they contained deliberate fabrications without serious claims to being canon. They are often unworthy, uh, you know, in terms of uh, their dynamic, life-transforming quality. They were contradictory at times. Uh, they often, you know, when you think about it, you know, we don't really have a whole lot of information on Jesus' early life. You know, the only uh, testimony after his birth was the, you know, the time when he was about 12 going up to the temple. And so uh, some of this stuff was written to try to satisfy curiosity about the life and childhood of, of Jesus. Others are attempt to provide simply details that were maybe omitted or, you know, concerning the apostles. And so, you know, that along with the fact that there was a desire to embed tradition in it all, you know, and gain acceptance for, you know, s- some popular beliefs. I mean, you know, praying for the dead comes from the prayer of Manassas, you know, which, you know, that... You know some of the some of the some of the things you know um, Abraham. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other errors that you can find in the apocrypha, but you read them alongside in Scripture and you realize this is so different. I mean, there are some things like the Book of Maccabees, which is really a history, and you know there's a value to the history, you know, but there's not a value to the life and testimony of the church. Yeah, we wouldn't elevate those to the same authority that we would. The- the canon of scripture. I think the the Belgic Confession is helpful here. In Article Six, it says the Church may certainly read these books. It's referring to the Apocrypha, mm-hmm. and learn from them as far as they agree with the canonical books, the sixty six that we're talking about. But they do not have such authority and virtue that one could confirm from their testimony any point of faith or of the Christian religion much less can they detract from the authority of the other holy books. So there are times when I'm preaching through the Old Testament and, and times even when I'm preaching in, in from a New Testament book that I'm actually quoting from Thucydides or 
Herodotus or or Josephus, historians that are providing me with some color commentary as I'm working through a biblical text. However, I'm taking them all with a little bit of a grain of salt, that they are and can provide some historical structure that helps with understanding maybe something about the time period in which I'm preaching from. But I'm not going to go to Thucydides and say, here is a scriptural truth that I'm going to now use and preach and teach. And that's how I would approach the, the, the Apocrypha. I make reference to them every once in a while well, because they provide some insight. Paul does that even in his own preaching, you know, right. and uh, he would he would talk about, you know, for instance, he he says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts and, and gluttons, you know, I mean, he's actually, this was some, the way they popularly referred to the people of Crete, but uh, that doesn't mean that he was uh, using that as a, a scriptural truth. He was, he was actually using it as an illustration in his message. I think there's a, a sense, I mean, Jonathan worked through and talked through some of the, for lack of a better word, criteria that we use as we're trying to, dis, to distinguish between canonical books and non-canonical books. But he, he made a, a very clear distinction that we receive them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church doesn't declare them to be the canon. We receive them as canon. And this, this, I know that this is going to feel a little bit squishy because it's hard to, to be incredibly precise here. But let me quote from the Belgic and then from the Westminster Confession, and hopefully this will help. The, Westminster, or the Belgic says, We receive all these books and these only as holy and canonical for regulating, founding, and establishing of our faith. And we believe without a doubt all things contained in them, not so much because the church receives and approves them as such, but above all, because the Holy Spirit testifies in our heart that they are from God, and also because they prove themselves to be from God. For even the blind themselves are able to see that the things predicted in them do happen. And I know that that's a little bit of a subjective well, the, the essence of it, the reason why we can say we receive it is because it was the Word of God. It's the Word of God whether we received it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it already was the Word of God. We, you know, when we established it, the fact that uh, Scripture is inspired by God, it's God-breathed, uh, you know, and also when we say that holy men uh, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit – you know, we're we're talking about something that's happened, and and it is the word of God. The recognition and being able to appreciate it came from those you know criteria. Uh, you know, now I can recognize it. Now I can you know I've, I'm receiving it because it's authoritative, it's prophetic, it's authentic, it's dynamic. It's and and then I understand that others uh, are seeing the same thing in those same scriptures. I think if, if to Give an illustration. We've talked about the word foundational, and so if if the church gives scripture the authority, then the authority of scripture really rests on the authority of the church, mm-hmm. rather than the church receiving its authority from the scripture. And so the scripture is an authority in and of itself. That way, we understand it as being received by us, rather than us attributing <coughs> authority to it. Um, Michael Horton says, unless the credibility of doctrine or scripture is established by divine rather than human authority, our conscience will always waver. 
That is, if scripture is authoritative because humans say it's a, it's authoritative, we will always be second guessing it and questioning. But if we understand it to be authoritative because God declares it to be authoritative, then we can receive it with faith and confidence. Mm-hmm. Think, think of it this way: we we make distinctions all the time and all the time in life. We know when we're watching a master play a sport. So you didn't have to tell me that Michael Jordan was an incredible basketball player. I could watch it. I could see it. I could observe it. it, it that was just that was it. And then you watch some some fifth grader play basketball and you're not going to say oh no the fifth grader that's basketball just like he plays just like jordan no nobody's going to say that you know the difference you observe the difference that's what that's what the scripture is when you read the word of god it's it's a different level it's a whole different plane and then and this is what the westminster confession is saying it's the heaviness of the matter the efficacy of the doctrine the majesty of the style you know that you're you're encountering something beyond just another book there's there's a heaviness to it there's a majesty to it there's a there's a beauty to it that you're not encountering someplace else and people will say well that that seems subjective and i'm saying yes but we do this in other realms of life and it works you know it to be true and that's where we're saying that that's the difference between the canon and other books right and the bible is supports itself by you know the external evidence you know the archaeology that authenticates it the it's the best documented book in the ancient world uh, there are thousands of manuscripts that uh, go to our understanding that what we have is what has was written uh, there's the there's internal evidence over and over again in the in that where it claims to be the word of god you know that phrase thus says the lord or the lord spoke or the word of the lord came that that occurs some like you know close to 4000 times in in the old and new testament so this is a, it's it purports to be very the very word of god and on that you can rest your faith and have surety that it's true well we'll see you tomorrow